Hey, uh, Jesus said this, uh, that he was the light of the world, remember that? And that darkness had not overcome the light. Everybody remember that? Then he said this later. He said, you're the light of the world. Y'all remember that? So that's a little secret here. If you want to overcome the darkness, is you have to realize that you're the light. Because that's what Jesus said, right? So say that with me. Say, I'm the light of the world. Darkness has no place in me. And everywhere I go, I'm bringing light. I'm going to radiate God. And people are going to be touched by God. Even if they don't know it's God. And some people are going to ask me to pray for them. Because they're going to feel something. If you start believing that, it'll happen. And people in the, I'm talking about when you're out in the grocery store or wherever, there's going to be people there that's going to be attracted to light. And there's so many needy people out there now. But if we don't believe we're the light, then darkness will be able to have a place in us. Honestly, y'all. And this is really the way you overcome all this stuff that's going on in the world now, is is knowing that you're light, believing that you're light. If you don't believe uh, who God says you are, the devil's going to take advantage of you. Amen? And that's one of the things that Robert was talking about there is getting rid of lies that are embedded down in, into us so deep that we don't even realize they're in us. That's holding, holding back us. And, and, and it's like, I've said this many times, it's like the uh, malware that runs in a computer. It's running in the background, wearing the computer out, slowing it down without you even knowing, like, I'm going to throw this computer away, but really all it needs to do is get rid of the viruses in it that's running in the background. Well, that's what happens with most people. In fact, I don't think I've ever met a person because you live in a fallen world. You live in a world of death. You live in a toxic environment, okay, that's, that's slowly dying. That's really what's happening to the world. It's slowly dying, and that's why we need... Uh, to realize that God sent us onto this, put us on this earth. He's put you here today for this time, for this season. And He has put Himself in you. He has put light in you. And that's the hope of the world, is the light that we carry. But if we've got to start believing what the Word of God says. And you can be in a bad mood, and you can be down and out, but the light's still working. Amen? The be- it's best that you don't act bad because that's not good, you know, and speak bad. That's not good. But no matter how you feel, you wake up in the morning, you feel dull, you feel broken, that light's still in you. The light didn't go away. And so I want to encourage you, and many of you, you know, don't let the world overcome you because if you're letting the world overcome you, you are not believing what Jesus said. You're in unbelief, and you're in, and see, God can't work in you if you're in unbelief. Remember when Jesus went to his hometown? It says he could any mighty miracles there. Why? Because they wouldn't accept who he was. They wouldn't believe who he was. He only healed a few sick people. There was a few people there that would believe him, and he was able to heal them. And so when we begin to believe him and believe what the word of God, the written word of God, it's already written down. You don't need a prophetic word about this. You don't need some... Somebody tell you this. You need it's in the word. You just need to be reminded of it. And if there's if there's a struggle in your heart and where you feel like you can't overcome that, you may need some some inner. Well, you probably do. 
I mean, I'm looking at everybody's face in this room, and I could say, Robert, everybody in this room needs this. I'm serious. I've done it several times in my life, and it has made a huge difference for me spiritually. Now, that wasn't a promo for, for the inner healing because I wouldn't want to overwhelm them with everybody, but, but that would be nice if everybody did. We'd just say y'all overwhelm for a while. But yeah, um, I do believe uh, just light, being, being light is so important. Amen. Amen. And there's actually people who will be able to see the light. They'll see it and be attracted to it. They won't know what they're seeing. So anyways, I just wanted to tell you that, thinking about that during worship. Okay, I'm going to read. Uh, hey, this, I'm going to do this a little bit different this morning, and I hope it works out. If it don't, too bad. I feel good about this, man. Okay? And this is what I want to... I want to read the whole chapter. (laughs) It's only 11 verses. (laughs) This is easy. But this is Revelation 4, okay? And this is why... Revelation 4 is just a vital... It has become a vital chapter in my life. Because it's one of the few chapters... and A few places in the Bible... That really describes what heaven is like. And remember last week I told you that, you know, there were seven things that John saw when he went to heaven. There's actually seven things in there. And I talked about the one thing last week. And the reason I wanted to do that is like the throne that we could see that, that God's on the throne. And God is almighty. And God has got everything under control on this earth, whether we think he does or not. But sometimes life feels out of control. But we find out later God was working Somebody had that shirt there that was hanging over there about the, what is that, you know, that song we sing, even when I don't see it, he's working. Well, that's a biblical truth. It's a biblical truth. And we can see that in the lives of the heroes of the Bible, how when it seems like their life was falling apart, God was doing something completely that no one could connect with and knew about and actually brought them into their destiny. What looked like apparent failure and, and, you know, loss. Actually, God was at work bringing people into their very destiny. And so, I don't even know why I was saying that. Huh? Yeah, it was for someone. Um, let me just read Revelations 4, 1 and 2. It says, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. That could, we could preach on that for a long time. That door still standing open. That door was open when Christ died on the cross. The Bible is very clear that his flesh was the veil that separated heaven and earth. When his flesh was ripped open, heaven was ripped open forever. Absolutely forever. We don't have to pray for an open heaven. We have to pray that our minds can connect with heaven that's already open. Now that's really the truth. When we think that God needs to do something further, Lord, you know, there's a famous scripture, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. That was an amazing prayer in the Old Testament. But that prayer has been fulfilled in Christ. He did rend heaven. He did come down. And he left, he, when he went back, he didn't close heaven. But there's, there are experiences of, of heaven being more real to us and us being able to encounter the spiritual realm. They are those experiences that we all can have. But generally speaking, if we'll believe there's an open heaven, we can experience it more and more in our everyday life. It's just like the Bible says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, right? 
That's what it says. It's the truth. And when we begin to believe that, we begin to, to dial into that. And the real practical way that that affects you, if, as you believe it, is you begin to see things from a heavenly perspective. You begin to look at life from that perspective because you realize you're there. Y'all are excited, aren't you? Yes, sir. This is all important stuff. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come and I will show you things which must take place after this. Obviously, as a lot of people believe, that's when the rapture happened, you know, the trumpet. I personally don't believe that, but I'm fine with people who believe it. it just, yeah, maybe it is because we don't really know uh, exactly when all this was. But I know a lot of amazing people who absolutely believe this is when the rapture happened. I'm talking about people who know the Bible inside and out that believe that. But I just don't, I'm not buying it myself, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, does it? Come on, y'all. So he heard this voice that said, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Notice the word must. In other words, it, it wasn't like maybe it will take place. So this is, uh, you know, God was telling, the Spirit of God was telling John that, Hey, I'm fixing to show you the future. Amen? How would you like to see the future? I think we need to begin to see the future some. God wants to reveal some things about the future to us, and so we can uh, have faith. That's what it says uh, in two times when the Lord says, I told you these things before they happened so you could have faith, so you could believe, so you could, could walk in faith, so you could be people of faith uh, and be able to deal with things that are coming in the future. They won't catch you off guard. Um, everybody wants to, you know what preppers are? I'm sure there's preppers in this room. Don't take offense if you're a prepper. I'm just going to find out who you are, and if something ever really bad happened, I'll just come to your house, okay? So, because, you know, that prepping bit, I mean, I open my refrigerator, there's not, there's not even food to eat tomorrow at my house. Becky, like, runs a very lean and mean operation. It's like, mm, there's never anything to eat here. I'm like, yes, there is. There's all kinds of stuff, but it's like nothing. I don't want to eat any of this. You know, it's all stuff she likes. She's not here today, so... She's with my daughter celebrating their birthday. It's like my grandson's birthday. Anyways, uh, so he's going to show things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And then the Lord began to reveal. That was the first thing he saw. He saw the throne. And I mentioned last week that the throne is mentioned 14 times in 11 verses, meaning that that's the central theme of this of of you know, Revelation 4 is God's throne. God's, God is almighty. God is great. God is great. God is good. God is on the throne. And He is going to reveal that one day to all humanity. And this book wants to prepare us. So when we're in times of distress, personally, or when the earth is in the times of distress, we know who's on the throne. We can appeal to that person on the throne who has a relationship with us and understands and, and cares about what we think and cares about what we're going through. Like Robert mentioned, what a beautiful thing the Lord said. I was always there. I never, you were not a forsaken son. You felt it. It looked like it. But in the end of the day, you really wasn't. And when you break that lie, Often you you know it, and so that's what God wants to wants us to do. Um, here's some: the Holy Spirit desires to. I wrote. I love this, y'all. The Holy Spirit desires to stir our imagination, inflame our hearts, but not fill our heads with facts about heaven. 
Did you hear what I'm saying to you? We don't need facts about heaven. We need our hearts to burn with revelation about heaven. Okay, now we have never been people who, oh, we're living, we're living for the sweet by and by, have we? We've never talked about that. We've never thought about our life on earth. We're just getting through and hoping we make it and get to heaven one day. We're not those kind of people. That's not Christ, the Christianity of the Bible. The Christianity of the Bible is an overcoming Christianity. It's calling heaven to come down now. That's what the Christianity of the Bible is. That's why Jesus said pray that way. That's why he wanted that beautiful prayer on earth as it is in heaven. He told us that that's a way that we can, that's a prayer for all ages, for all ages. And so we're not talking about heaven for the sweet by and by. Of course we're going there one day. If you know Christ, you're, we're, that's, our, that's our eternal home. We're there now, and eternally we will be there. One person asked me one time this. They said, what if you get to heaven when you, after you pass away on earth and, and everybody's already there? Because in heaven there's no time. We're all there already. I thought, wow, that could be true. It could be true. When we get there, we find out everybody's already there. What if that's the truth? You know, so cause, because heaven doesn't operate like earth. So, you know, the Lord really does want to take us beyond the borders of our understanding of the Bible, number one, and the borders of our understanding of God himself. We have to be people that are willing to go beyond where we've been. We have borders. We have, uh, you know, we've, you know, borders. What's another word for borders? Huh? Boundaries. We have these boundaries. We don't even know they're there. And we won't go past them. But when God begins to stir a thing and reveal things to us, that there's more to Him, there's more to the Bible, there's more to what God has for us, then it'll, it'll provoke us. It'll get us wanting more and desiring more. That's what this book will do for you. That's what the book of Revelation, that's what looking at heaven does. Well, it's done it for me. Okay, so if it doesn't do it for you, I'm just so sorry. You know, Peter prayed this in 2 Peter 3.18, that we would grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in it. Grow knowing Him. Increase in knowing Him. Knowing, not only knowing Him, knowing all about what He is, what He has, what He has for us. And grow in that grace. Grace is power. Grace is power to walk with Him. Grace is power to be you, to be who you created to, were created to be. It's power to overcome sin and say no. It's power to resist darkness when it comes roaring at you. It's power to not get depressed or not give in to what the world says and what's happening in the world and, and live in despair and live in fear. That's what grace will do for you. And that's why Peter says we need to grow in it. We need to increase in it. There's another place where he says grace was manifold. It had many colors. It had many variations to it. There's all different kinds of grace that we need to grow in. And I think a grace we need to grow in is a revelation of, of heaven. So when we pray on, he- on earth as it is in heaven, we typically think about healing, which is amazing because there is no sickness in heaven, right? And that's a really easy way to pray for a sick person, I think. You know, when you lay hands on somebody, you ask the Lord how to pray for them. I hope you do because that's what you should do. 
the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you, how to pray for them, because only He knows. But if you don't, you can always, always fall back on this one prayer. Father, your kingdom come in this body right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done in these circumstances in this person's life right now. And that's an amazing prayer because there's answers in that. There's life in that. Are you with me? So, anyways, verse 3 says, this is amazing, y'all. Um, it says, and he, he saw God. Y'all, this is God he's talking about. He saw God. Can you imagine seeing God? We're sitting here without the emotion, but he looked upon God himself. And God has been gracious for him to write it down. And these few little words here, what God actually looks like sitting on his throne. This is amazing. He who sat on the throne was like a jasper. Like, everybody say like. Like means, remember I told you one time, I may not have, but in, all through the book of Revelation, he uses these metaphors. He uses words like, like, he's like this, that was like that. He wasn't saying God was a, a uh, Jasper or Saurus. He looked like it. He was trying to describe something spiritual with earthly pictures. And so he said he looked like a Sardis in a, uh, in a, in a Sardis stone in appearance. That's what he said like. And so apparently these ancient jaspers were not exactly like today's jasper. Do y'all know jasper? Anybody know anybody named jasper? Well, I knew a guy named jasper. He was a, he was a Native American, and I knew his brother Levi. Me and Levi were real good friends, but jasper was about three years older than me and Levi. And jasper liked to come over and just beat the fire out of me and Levi. I mean, just beat us senseless, you know. I mean... I can just remember so I'd be so enraged at him, but not being able to do anything about it because he was such so much bigger. So I never really liked Jasper. <laughs> Jasper was mean to me, and my and his brother Levi. Well, until I read this, and uh, apparently uh, Jasper is like a diamond; it's radiant. Yes, a quartz crystal. Who said that? Somebody. And so it shines forth. And so, this is really important. Notice how the New Age has stole the crystal thing. Don't you ever think about that? Well, you know, I told you all a few times ago, a few sometimes, about my encounter with God about 45 years ago now. His, and he said, my face is like a diamond. Well, obviously, at that time, I had no clue that was in the Bible. Um, and even if I knew it was in the Bible, I would have known that that's what he was I couldn't have never connected that. But I, I guess my point is, isn't it beautiful how God will speak to you about something and then at some point you realize it's right out of the Bible. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And it really, that's stuck with me all these years. Um, my face is like a diamond. It has many sides. You, you'd be wise to get to know me as I reveal myself to you. That's what he told me. And so here John is seeing this diamond-like appearance of the Father. Uh, and there was this light that was emanating from him, apparently. And he says he appears like a sardis stone, which is a deep red gem. And so uh, the God on the front throne is a bright diamond-like radiance with a deep red gem coloring coming out of his being. 
That's what he looks like. And that, of course, that red color would really, what would that speak of? It would speak of his blood. It would speak of his redemption. That's what God looks like. And see, we're being, we've given, been given this glorious inheritance. Many people could read that. And probably some of you are just reading it. It's only touching your mind. But when it begins to touch your heart, it can begin to do something to you. It can begin to shift your, your thinking and shift everything about you because you're seeing God. And so what you can do is you can use your imagination when you're praying to actually look into heaven and see this person. And it makes your prayers and it makes your worship so much more rich because now you're just not talking into that blank air. And everybody in this room has an imagination Everybody, and we use our imaginations constantly, all the time. You're some of your imagining, like, I can't wait for this gets done so I can go do. That's your imagination. You're thinking about the hamburger. You're seeing that hamburger and those beautiful fries, the aroma of them. That's your imagination. So when we pray, we can actually use stuff like this. And I'll tell you this the more you use it, the more real it becomes. The more real it becomes. And it says the. There was a rainbow around the throne. I'm going to have to hurry up here. But there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. There's this rainbow that was circling around the throne. And the rainbow, of course, we all know that speaks of God's covenant mercies over all the activities of His throne. You can find that in Genesis 9, 13 through 16. It speaks how God acts in tender, life-giving mercy. Do you hear what I'm telling you? God acts in tender, life-giving mercy. And always you can do this. You can always do this. When you are in your relationship with God, you can always appeal to His mercy. Always. God is a God of mercy. He's a Father of mercy is what He calls Himself. And so no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you feel, you can always revert back to this one thing, is I need your mercy. And you know what? He's always given mercy. That's what that rainbow speaks of. That God, even, even when turmoil is happening, even when He opens seals that seem crazy, there's mercy happening. It just depends on if you're going to receive it or not. Isn't that beautiful? And around the throne, in verse 4, it says, were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So apparently the throne is circular and it's in the center. And so what you see in that, and this is really cool, man. What you see in that, all creation, that's the pattern for all creation. Think about our solar system. We have a sun in the center. Think about the atom. The, the atom has a nucleus with electrons and blah, blahs and protons and all this cool stuff. You know? We, we have a center. We have a, what the Bible calls our heart, the real you. That's the center of everything you are. You know, so everything is created in pattern after the throne, the throne of God. And the world, the universe, the solar systems all work based on what works in the very throne room of heaven. Isn't this interesting and cool, man? I just love this stuff, man. Uh, so these 24 elders are considered the council of heaven or the courts of heaven. We don't really know what they are. We don't know if they're angels or people that have been... Re we don't know what they are. It doesn't tell us. It just tells us what they do. 
and what they do is more important than trying to figure out what they are. Amen? Because if it don't, it just says they're, they're elders in heaven that sit around and they give God counsel. And you can read all through the script, all through the Old Testament, there's times where God has a, a convening council, a convening court where he takes counsel from these beings to make decisions. I can show you places where God's asked the question, what shall we do? It's in Daniel, it's in 2 Kings, it's all over. It's in Job where God is, not that God needs any help. He had just chosen that and that's his model. That's his model for earth. We're the ones on earth. We're the council on earth for God. And we can influence what the throne room in heaven decides. We can influence the direction of our finances. We can influence the direction of our nation even. But we have to start with influence and direction of ourselves. Because how can we influence a world around us if we can't even influence us by believing the right things? Are, are y'all with me? I need somebody to be with me on this because I'm just telling you the truth. But anyways, this is what they do. This is what it says the, the 24 elders do in Revelation. Here's what they do. They, they worship. They say to God. They cast their crowns before the Lord. They advise, comfort, and interpret for John of what's going on. And they have harps and bowls full of incense that represents the worship and prayers of the saints. And one thing you're going to find in the Bible, you're going to find that prayer is very important to God. Because he would not have a bowl up there with our prayers in it. He would not have it. And sometimes we dismiss prayer and say, prayer's not this, prayer's not that. Well, I just think it is because it's up there in heaven. God has your prayers in a bowl just like he has your tears in a bottle. That's what the Bible says. Every tear you've ever shed, God collected them. Because he loves us and he feels our tears. He feels our pain. He feels our joy. We need to really connect with a God like that. We need to know a God like that. We need to, I better watch out. I'm going to push this thing over on Tim and he'll be all mad. Yeah. Verse 5, it says, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Mm. And so that really, you know, in the Old Testament, you'll find that when God appeared like on Mount Sinai, there was this storm phenomena like lightnings and thunderings. That, uh, in fact, when the Lord God spoke about Jesus in the Gospels, uh, one of the things that people said, they said it thundered. They thought, oh, it thundered. No, it was the voice of God speaking about Jesus Christ, about him being his, his son that he loved. And so that really speaks of the power of God. Right? And there's nothing more powerful hardly in nature than thunder and lightning, right? We're fascinated. We love it. But we can also realize, gosh, if we could just tap into the power of lightning, man, we'd have enough power to run the world forever because it's powerful, powerful, powerful. If you ever, well, you know what happened uh, not long ago. Um, I, was, I walked out in my garage and lightning hit um, my neighbor's tree. And it was probably about as far as here to the other end of the parking lot there, I heard it hit and I saw this purplish blue light racing towards me as I was running (laughs) to get back in my house. It scared a fire out on me. It blew this tree apart. It destroyed all every electronic thing in my neighbor's house. Everything was done. I mean, nothing, and even their electric stuff was gone. Some of my stuff got messed up, uh, 
but it was I could have, you know, pull, unplug it and reset it kind of thing. But that's just the power, this, you know, in one little lightning bolt, you know, and this is how God is represented here as all-powerful. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? They were afraid in the Old Testament when they saw that. They said, we don't want to talk to a God like that when he came and revealed, you know, on that mountain uh, when, the, when the law was given. Don't, uh-uh, you go, Moses. We're not those people. When we see that, we need to run to that. We need to run to his power and his glory when he begins to reveal it and not be people that run from it because it's goodness, it's love, it's purity, it's hope that gets released in the middle of all that. Isn't this beautiful? And, of course, it says there were these uh, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I love that. The seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You can read that in uh, Isaiah 11 too for the details. But the Holy Ghost in heaven is a fire. Everybody say fire. fire. More, fire. More fire. Or as Pablo would say, mas fuego. We need that fire of God, man. We need it. Jesus promised that. that he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. We don't really know what that fire is. We know it. Fire can do a lot of great things. I'll just put it like that. You know, one of the things that fire does, y'all, if you have a piece, is you've got a fire going, you throw a piece of wood in it, pretty soon that wood becomes fire. It, you become one with the fire. You, you become part of the fire. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to become part of the fire of the Spirit, that we're burning, you can't separate us from the fire. I just really so believe that. And then it says in verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Wow, this is, this is amazing. I'm, I'm telling you this is amazing. In the midst of the throne and around the throne there were four living creatures full of eyes in front of back. First, I just want to take a minute about this sea of glass because I'm fascinated with this sea of glass thing. Apparently this thing is hundreds and hundreds of miles in each direction. Uh, because he, he called it a sea. He was telling us something. He was, that's what he is. It's like when you see the sea, there's no end to it. And this sea is before the throne. This is something that's very, that's going to be very important for us when we get to heaven. I wanted to read. I kind of fiddled around with it a little bit last week out, trying, out of my memory. Let me read this statement to you. Moses received the first revelation of the sea of glass in Exodus 24. There was a group visitation of 74 men who worshipped, listen to this, worshipped and ate a covenant meal before the Lord on the sea of glass. They, God called them up and they all sat down on this sea of glass and ate before God celebrating the covenant that he had given them. That is the first revelation of this sea in the Bible that I know of, and I'm pretty sure it is, but... Moses referred to it as a sapphire blue pavement. That's Exodus 24.10. Ezekiel saw it. He called it a firmament, a floor, or an expanse. Those are just different translations of the same word. He described it as extraordinary in its radiant splendor. That's uh, Ezekiel 1.22. Daniel saw the sapphire seed filled with flaming fire. That's what Daniel saw in Daniel 7, 9 through 10. And then here, John sees it and calls it this amazing sea. So you see what the Bible was giving us. It was giving us a little piece, starting with Moses, a little bit more of Ezekiel, a little bit more of Daniel. Now John is bringing it all into clarity for us. 
Okay, now I'm going to read uh, Revelations 15 too right quick. Are we good? It says, and I saw something. I saw something like a sea of glass. This is John talking. Mingled with fire. Now he sees the fire in it when he gets to verse uh, chapter 15. He's seeing something more. He's seeing that fire that Daniel saw in this beautiful sea. He sees it. And those who have the victory over the beast. Everybody say, over the beast. Who are those people? We're those people. We are the people who are going to have victory over this beast that has risen its ugly head in the earth. And that beast has risen its head. That beast has been around forever, but now it's getting uncovered. Rising its head, let's get the sword of the word of the Lord out and chop that head down. Or chop it off, man. And those who have the victory over his image and his mark and over the number of his name. All those are really big deal things. I can't go into them right now. Standing on the sea of glass having harps. In other words, they were, they were gathered. They were gathered on the sea of glass and they were worshiping God. It's a gathering place in heaven. That means when we gather, there's going to be times... When God calls his people to the, to the sea of glass. He's going to call his people, all his people from all eternity. We're going to be called and we're going to go there and we're going to worship him. And he's going to talk to his, his people in heaven. It's like church in heaven. We're going to have church in heaven. Except for it ain't going to be me talking. That's going to be good. It is not going to be... We're going to be out there worshiping. We're going to be out there declaring the glory of God and be millions of angels around us participating with us. That's one of the experiences that we're going to have. I believe other experiences is that we'll be busy in heaven. We'll be doing things for God. I don't know what. But that's going to happen. Isn't that beautiful, man? I, years ago, i got to finish this. I'm not quite finished. Becky started talking about, to me about glassy sea worship. I thought, what in the heck are you talking about, Becky? She said, there's a worship coming. There's a wor-. And I didn't, I didn't want to connect it with this. I, didn't, I was too dumb to connect it with it. You know, and I've been trying to stir, stir it back up in her recently. I haven't really quite got her to engage with me. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know, but she's going to engage. I tell you, she is. She really is. Because there's something coming, y'all, in worship that's different. There's something coming that's different. It's going to be a glassy sea worship. It's going to be a worship where God is the center, where Jesus Christ is the center. Let me, let me just tell you about the worship leaders in heaven. You know, the, heaven has worship leaders. It mentioned these four living creatures. They're weird. You think worship leaders, they are weird? These guys in heaven are bad weird. It ain't tight jeans or cool looks. They are not cool looking. No tight jeans. I mean, these guys are crazy looking. They're scary looking. It says around the phone were four living creatures full of eyes, front and in back. Full of eyes. That's, ooh. But it's, it means something. And it says in verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third was like a face of a man, and the fourth living creatures were like a flying eagle. That's what they looked like. Okay, like, 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 okay, they look like that, and they had eyes all around them. I don't know, this is some weird things, man, you know, and uh, it says the four living creatures each having six wings, not two, but six. Tell me this ain't a weird worship leader. Don't fuss about worship leaders being weird. Mm -mm. 
this is weird. This is bad weird. This is scary weird. If we saw one of these things, we would run. I think they're seraphim. That's what I think they are. I think, you know, because uh, in John, uh, Isaiah 6, he talks about seeing the seraphims, and they, they are doing what these guys are doing. Holy, holy, holy. Did you know there's 22 or 23 or something like that? It's been a while, but of different kinds of beings in heaven. We just think, you know, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm not even counting them in it. We think just angels. It's not just angels. There's all these different, the Bible's got these different beings. You know, the seraphims and cherubims, there's all these other ones. You can pull them out. They're all scattered out through the Bible. Watchers and uh, hosts. These are not normal angels. The 24, see, the Bible had, tells us really a lot of information, but you've got to pay attention and you've got to look for it. I just think it's fascinating. So I do think these are the seraphims, but I can't prove it. And the seraphims, and according to I, these, are, these things are fiery. They're fire. That's how they're made. They're fire. they got fire all over them, and, and, and they're powerful. You know, the cherubims is what God put out there to protect uh, Eden. Those are the ones you don't want to make mad. They, those are probably the most powerful beings in heaven apart from the Lord, the cherubims. They were like gods, like anybody mess with them. They won't even exist. I mean, their memory will be incinerated. You know, they're, they're that powerful. But sometimes we should go through the Bible because this will cause you to have a hunger. This will cause you to see there's something more to what we carry. We're carrying something amazing in us. We really are. We're carrying something eternal. We're carrying something that's amazing in us. And all these beings are meant to serve God and the angels are meant to serve us. They're here to serve us and help us. That's how wonderful we are. But we don't believe it. We don't believe it. Let me finish this. The four living creatures having six wings were full of eyes around with it and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's where I'm thinking they're seraphims because that's what they do in Isaiah 6. They you know, the holy, holy. You know, Isaiah just had an amazing thing. So those eyes are important because eyes speak of revelation. Okay, now that's really important. Revelation is, um, is everything in heaven. That's how heaven operates. It operates on revelation. It operates on what God sees. So these beings are close to God. Okay, and therefore they have this ability to see. That's why they have all those eyes because they're near God. And by being near God, God has enabled them to see things that nobody else can see. And so that means for you and I, that when we abide in the Lord, when we believe that we're in Christ, when we declare, when, we, when, we, when things come against that, if we will continue, we will have the ability to see. That's how we have it. We have the ability to see because of our closeness and our union with the Lord. But nobody really believes that kind of stuff. They, people think it's weird. People don't think it's the, it makes a difference. But it makes all the difference. Least you be deceived by an angel of light that comes called Lucifer. Who's able to disguise himself and look like an angel of light. But if you can see, you can always see that little corner in his robe of darkness. God taught me that when, as I was a new believer. He taught me how to figure out because I was having all these dreams and I was trying to figure out what, this seemed like it was from God, but God, there was this little thing, and it didn't seem right. And he said, yeah, that's how you know. Because the devil's not perfect. 
So he can't completely deceive. And if you have eyes to see, you can right away look. Oh, that little word that said, that little thought that said, "Mm mm-mm, I ain't going there. I ain't going there. No, no, you ain't going to trick me on this. So many people are deceived these days about things. So many. But the way to not be deceived is to be like these, these seraphims, is be live in your union with the Lord. Live with Him and trust Him and believe that, that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Let me go on here. Are y'all okay? For, well, I'm going to go on and finish because I'm almost at the end. And it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, notice glory, honor, and thanks, they were the worship leaders in heaven. That's what they do. They worship. They give glory and honor and thanks to God who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Man, they keep kind of repeating some things, don't they? Isn't that amazing? We need to catch that stuff. We need to catch it. When, when John's repeating things, he's wanting like, hey, y'all, this is kind of important. You kind of need to know. He who lives forever and ever, that's an important thought. Uh, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever again. Note, when they worship, what did the elders do? They fell before the Lord. They fell. See, revelate, work, true worship comes out of revelation. They have this revelation of the glory and goodness of God, these men do. And when they begin to worship, their worship affects the elders. The elders fall down. They don't just fall down. They take their crowns, which, which I think it's their rewards or, or who they stood for. And they, they gave it all to the Lord. They threw it to him. You see why revelation, you know, provokes worship and worship provokes worship. Worship provokes worship. That's why you go in some churches and nobody's working because not one person's willing to stand up and, and get out of their flesh, get out of their feelings and say, the Lord's worthy whether I feel like it or not. The Lord's worthy to be honored and thanked and blessed. And when that happens, it provokes other people. I mean, right? I remember one time sitting in a meeting, and there was a friend of mine. I was sitting way, it was a big meeting, and he was sitting at the front. And I remember him hearing him worship. And it tore me up, because I knew that guy. I knew about that guy. I knew the struggles he'd went through in his life. But his worship released a worship in me. It caused me to worship because I saw a man that was a broken man, a messed up man, trying to overcome a debt somebody he killed in a car wreck. You know, he had a lot to overcome, a family member. And when I saw him worship, it did something to me. I'll never forget that. So, anyways... It says they say it, and, they, and this is what the elders say. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. They were worshiping God and honoring God for what he had done. For what he had done for them. How he's the creator, and he deserved it. He flat deserved it. See, this is, this is a model for the church. Honestly, y'all. I mean, this is where I think we're, we we're sometimes are not engaged with what's really happening. Because when we gather, it's just like gathering before on that glassy sea. Because it's happening as we gather. And there's a, there's a pattern. 
So here's, this is interesting. Um, the word worship occurs 24 times in the book of Revelation. Listen to this, 24 times. More than any other book in the New Testament. There's, I'm not sure how many. I hear, you know, I, I think I found 16, but some people say there's only 14. There's 14 to 16, or maybe more, hymns in the book of Revelation. More than any other book in the New Testament. Probably the only other book that exceeds the worship is the Psalms. That's probably the only other book in the Bible that exceeds the centrality of worship. I'll tell you another thing. If you go through and study all these, these worship moments, here's what the common thing in every one of them. Something big was about to happen. Something big. Every critical moment in the book of Revelation is, listen, is accompanied by worship. Remember in the Old Testament when, when they were going out to fight? Israel was going to go out. You know, Judah goes first. Right? Y'all know that, right? That's how they, did, they fought in the Old Testament when they were under the covering of God. They sent Judah. Which, who was Judah? Judah was the praise camp. They were the worshipers. God would send them out into the battle first before he sent all these skilled guys and, you know, ancient guns and, you know, bazookas. And he sent worshipers. And you're like, are you crazy, Lord? They're going to kill them poor guys up raising their hands to the Lord. But that's what happens in heaven, y'all. Really, the book of Revelation is profound when it comes to, to worship. Uh, and I just believe there is, really is a glassy sea worship that the Lord wants to release in the earth to the people of God. And, you know, you, we've had so many beautiful waves of worship. Like I remember years ago, the prophetic worship came in. That was really cool. But, you know, it's like everything else. It just kind of lost its zip. Have, you ever, have y'all noticed that? For years, we were really, and I am to, on a personal level to some degree, this is what you call contemplative worship. Y'all know about that? Soaking you know, I soak every day. You know, I used to love to come and do soaking at church, but now it's just so, to me, it's so disconnecting. And here's what the reason I think is, because I think we're coming in a time where God, if we're worshiping, worshiping God, not speaking to people, but worshiping Him where He becomes central. And I believe when He becomes central, then our needs will always be met. There's a, there's a, uh, a thing where Jesus tells, I think it's in Luke, uh, somewhere like 22, 23, somewhere in there, I don't remember, but where he talked he about, he talked about servants. He says, do you think when a servant who's been plowing out in the field comes in at the end of the day that his master is going to feed him? Jesus said, no. No, that is not what's going to happen. No, he's going to feed the master. And when the master has had his fill, then he's taken care of. You see, Jesus was given a principle there. See, the church's number one person, well, number one audience is the Lord. When we minister to the Lord and give him all the glory and thankfulness and honor that he so richly deserves then we can receive from Him. That's God's order. And I think somehow, and I'm not being critical, y'all, but I think somehow we drift away from that order. 
And sometimes God allows it. But I'll tell you something. When we, drift, when we stay drifted, it just dries up. And I believe God is going to bring this thing where God becomes more central. And, and the Lamb is worshipped. And the Father is worshipped. And we're going to find Him doing all kinds of miracles in our midst. Because He is very interested in touching His people. He really is. He wants to touch us. I think some of these things that we've experienced in the past where it seemed like it was more of a worship that way, it was really just a little glimpse of how what God wants to do for us. But it wasn't what we were really supposed to focus on. Are, does it make sense to y'all? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the, for the higher. I'm hoping for the higher call. I'm hoping for the higher worship, the worship of heaven. And I just believe that we can have that. I, I do. I don't know how you would get it. I really do because it's all complicated at some level. I'll tell you this. The devil don't like it. And the devil, and, and I remember here, and I'm going to stop, but I remember here and early on as a believer that the book of Revelation ultimately comes down a battle of worship. Who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship God or are you going to worship the devil? And that was what I heard. Like, I don't really understand that. But when you really look at it, it's really the truth. Because it really is a book of worship and it's a book of songs. You know, and I think those teach us in these last days how to get through these last days that worship really is one of the great things. Don't you love that song uh, about fighting your battles? What, how'd that go? Something like that. You know, I don't remember. You surround me when I fight my battle. When I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. I mean, that's really a beautiful thought. Isn't that beautiful? About the Lord. Okay, I'm going to pray. Y'all good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing, though? Lord, I just pray for an impartation this morning. An impartation that when we would begin to see heaven, we could see something more about on earth as it is in heaven that there could be something released to us, Lord, that would impact us. I'm asking you, Father, I'm asking you for an impact on our hearts. I'm not asking you, like I said, Lord, I don't want to just get facts here, information. I want some kind of thing that's going to impact my heart, that's going to shift me, Lord, when I walk into a worship service or a prayer service, Lord, I see something different. I connect into something different. That's what I want to do, Lord. I don't want to go to prayer meetings when I'm in my little head. I don't want to go to worship services. I'm stuck in my little brain, in my little feelings, my little emotions. Lord, I want to connect in something that's so much greater. I want to tap into that spiritual world of what you're doing and what you're saying, Lord. And I just ask you, Father, I pray this morning, I just ask you to do something supernatural in us. Every person in this room, Lord. I pray for a supernatural thing to happen. Lord, release the supernatural right now, Lord. Release a supernatural download on us, Lord. A download from heaven that would shift us, Lord. That we wouldn't be these skeptical, unbelieving, messed up people, afraid people, Lord. But we would be people of power, Lord. We'd be people full of the Holy Spirit. Our lights would shine brightly, Lord. Lord, I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus, Lord. For your glory, Lord, for your honor, for all of heaven to see a reflection of heaven on earth. 
And Lord, we want to be that. We want to be that on a personal level, not just in church, Lord, but wherever we go, Lord, we want to carry the beauty of the Lord and release the beauty of the Lord. And so I'm asking you to do that, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just release that right now. I just want to take just a moment, you know, You know, God's just not looking for just some charismatic theology or Pentecostal theology or Reformed theology or Calvinistic. He, that's not what He's looking for. He's looking for this vital relationship with Him. That's, that's what He's looking for. That's all He cares about. And I'll tell you something. That leads to a life of worship. Amazing life of prayer. Lord, we're just asking you to do that. And I still want to go back, y'all, one more thing. God is looking for people to be his voice on the earth. Don't allow the voice that God's given you, don't allow it to be stolen through compromise. If you compromise, you'll lose that voice. God has given us all a voice. He wants us to be able to use that voice. But if we compromise, if we give it away, if we trade away his voice for anything, it's just not going to be great for you. Y'all have a voice. Use it. Use your voice. God's going to speak to you. You're light. You carry it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay, well, I got carried away, y'all. I'm sorry. Get Maya to come here and close us out. Thank you, Pastor Byron. If anybody would like to receive prayer, prayer for healing, prophetic words, words of encouragement, just invite the ministry team to come forward. They'd be happy to pray for you, to minister to you, to bless you. And I just say, go, have a wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine, shine your, the sunlight, and be blessed. <laughs>